Magazines and Monsters, episode 59, The Devil Rides Out from 1968. Now there you were wrong. The power of darkness is more than just a superstition. It is a living force which can be tapped at any given moment of the night. Why? On one night of one year, should these people live in mortal fear? He must fight the devil's power to the death. My God. Don't look at the eyes, Rex! Eyes. Eyes. Once filled with love, are consumed with fear. For Tanith is now promised to the devil. Listen carefully to what I say. This is Makata, the devil's chief disciple. Your will is leaving you, slipping away. The Devil's Bride, from bestseller author Dennis Wheatley's The Devil Rides Out, fills the screen with a special kind of visual terror. On your feet quickly, back to back, join hands. You will hear his evil. You will feel his evil. You will see his evil. If we once catch sight of his face. Hey, everybody, Billy D, a.k.a. Doc Strange here, back with another recording for the show. And it's going to be another movie, and not just any movie, a Hammer film, and one of Hammer's best, I dare say, and uh, I think my uh, guest would agree with me. So, uh, welcome, Karen. How are you? Hey, Billy. Thanks for having me back. Doing doing well. And how about yourself? All right, fantastic. So, the last time you and I spoke, we talked about probably Hammer's best sci-fi film. Yeah, uh, quite, you know, the third installment of the Quatermass films, which was, you know, fantastic. And, yeah. you know, this film we're going to talk about uh, tonight here is pretty uh, well received as well. I, I, not that it was when it first came out, but it definitely mm-hmm. has grown into having a cult status, dare I say. Um, yeah. <laughs> so this is definitely <laughs> one that, uh, you know, a lot of people point to as one of their best. And uh, we're going to be talking about The Devil Rides Out from 1968. So uh, what was uh, your first experience with this one? Well, this one, it's kind of an oddball for me. I didn't discover it until, oh, I want to say 
much later in life, probably uh, mm -hmm. in my 30s or later, uh, because I think I, I first saw this when it was on uh, Turner Classics. Mm -hmm. um, I don't remember it being shown on like my local LA stations, which is where I usually would get Hammer films. You know, they would show Hammer yeah. on like a, the Saturday night, you know, monster movies. And we, we got all the Draculas and Frankensteins and, and all that stuff. But um, the, the Devil Rides Out or Devil's Bride, as it was known here in the US, um, I just, I don't have any memory of seeing it as a kid. Um, so I just don't know if it was packaged with, with all the other Hammer films or it just wasn't that popular and it wasn't shown. But, but I do know that I saw it when it was on Turner Classics. And, uh, you know, seeing it um, as a little bit older person um, really picked up on the quality of it. And then also just, you know, kind of the uniqueness of it, how it stood out from a lot of the other Hammer films, uh, especially with Christopher Lee being the hero of the piece. That was really unique. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, it's... it's um, just a really well done film, a really great kind of occult thriller picture. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, what about yourself? Where did you catch it first? It had to have been on television as well. I'm thinking maybe 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago at the mm -hmm. most, but it, it definitely isn't something I ever saw on you know, television when I was a kid either. I mean, uh, I'll be honest, if uh, I would have tried to watch this on TV and my mom would have saw this, she would have been like, get that off. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been in the doghouse if I was a guy <laughs> caught watching this film. So, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I think it definitely didn't get the airplay because, uh, you know, just uh, like you said, uh, Lee as Dracula and Cushing as Dr. Frankenstein. I think those were looked upon as the more iconic films and roles. So that's why they could constantly get airplay. And mm -hmm. this one really didn't. That's probably what was going on, I would assume. Yeah, that's my guess, too. Yeah, but yeah, it's a good one. It's, a, you know, like I said, over the years, this has grown to be one of, you know, people's favorites. You know, you will ask a lot of people, what's your favorite Hammer film? A lot of people will say this film or it's definitely in their top three, top five, mm -hmm. whatever. It, it, it's, it's definitely there. It's a yeah. really, really strong film. Yeah, it's it's definitely, I started thinking about, well, what's my top Hammer films? And mm -hmm. uh, I think this is in my top three. I'd probably put it up there with, uh, well, the uh, Quatermass in the Pit. And I like The Mummy an awful lot, too. So mm. now everybody's going, but what about, you know, Dracula? And, blah, blah. and it's like, yes, <laughs> I, I like all those, too. But, you know, there's just something about those three that, I really, really enjoy. So, yeah, I think I did a blog post years ago of a top 10. And I would guarantee if you asked me a top 10 now, it would be most, it, it wouldn't be completely different, but there would be definitely different films on there now that weren't before and maybe mm -hmm. even a different order. It's so hard. Hammer, Hammer for me is just, they were just so good. I, I can really, I put those on sometimes on my iPad just in the background while I'm doing other things. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's a, it's a comfort food, <laughs> comfort food <laughs> slash comfort movie for me. Right. <laughs> yeah. Something about hearing Cushing and Lee's voices and, you know, even the smaller players too. It's just, uh, their, their casting was always so good, you know, up until a certain year for sure, even up to 1968, when this was released, you know, the scripts were very strong. 
the, the casting was great. You know, uh, the film score was always fantastic. I mean, and this one, mm-hmm. the, the, the gang's all here. You know, director Terrence Fisher, who's, you know, he's basically Mr. Hammer, you know, behind yeah. the yeah, behind the, the scenes. He was probably their best director ever. You know, Freddie Francis did some good films and other guys, but he was the guy. And uh, this was probably, I would assume, his last big film with them. Yeah, I um, I wanted to, and I ran out of time, but I wanted to kind of look where this was sitting amongst all the other films and, you know, what came before and what came after. And I, unfortunately, I ran out of time before we uh, recorded. But, I, yeah, I, I feel like there is definitely a point in time where you kind of look at the Hammer films and you can say that, I don't want to say they became a parody of themselves, but they sort of, they definitely, the quality started to drop off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's funny. When I look at Hammer, I, I feel to me from like between like 1954, 55 and 68, six, 1969 in there, I, I feel like that's they uh, during that period and that period up against any other studio and period. Uh, for me personally, that will never be beaten. But after 1969, like Frankenstein must be destroyed. That, that to me, they uh, the, the wheels came off the cart because they changed their formula on how they were going to make films and present films mm. because the industry itself was changing, you know, late yeah. 60s and that early 70s. And when you had the Exorcist and all these, the Omen and things like that come out, right. I think they felt the pressure to kind of keep up with edgier kind of stuff. And that just wasn't what they were. Yeah, and I, I, it's interesting you mentioned like The Exorcist and The Omen because uh, even some of the, the criticisms that I've read uh, for The Devil Rides Out said that, you know, when they started having things like Rosemary's Baby come out and mm-hmm. some of these other films that were focused on, uh, you know, possession and... and the occult, yeah. Black, yeah, that, that in some ways this film felt very old fashioned and, and very mild compared to you know, <laughs> some of the things that were starting to come out. And, and you know, it's like, well, OK, uh, I can see that. But I also, though, would say that the acting in this is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just like you said, the, everything was still uh, very high quality um, the acting, the the direction, the production values were good. Now, I will say that, you know, some of the effects are not great, and that was a complaint of Christopher Lee as well. Uh, but they did what they could within their budget. So, you know, mm-hmm. there, there, were, there was always things that Hammer was kind of, you know, up against the wall with. Um, but it, I still would put it up there as a, an effective thriller, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was produced Anthony by Anthony Elton Keys. He's you know one of the guys that was around for a long time as well. But then the screenplay was by a uh, a gentleman who uh, you know people will recognize the name, but not necessarily for Hammer, uh, Richard Matheson. So we all know right. him, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I think that has a big hand in it, especially with the dialogue. Yeah. Um, you know, because there's some comparisons of the original author, Dennis Wheatley, his writing and then what Matheson did with it. And, you know, Matheson really made it sp- speakable on screen, you know, <laughs> so that mm-hmm. the actors could, could say the dialogue and be believable. So um, he does a, a great job with, with that. 
Yeah, and for anybody that's uh, out there that might be listening and isn't super familiar with Richard Matheson, definitely look him up. Go to Wiki or IMDb, whatever, and, and definitely look at his catalog because you will see things from, you know, the this era that are just, you'll be like, wow, he did that. Wow, he did that. Mm-hmm. He was one of those guys that had a hand in a lot of really, really good stuff. He's, 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 a, he's definitely somebody you, you can focus on for a while. Yeah, I mean, if you don't know him by name, you'll know him by all the things he's done for like, I don't know, Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. His story, I Am Legend, of course, has been adapted at least three times now. Um, yeah. He's, yeah, very prolific writer. Mm-hmm. And then music, uh, James Bernard, he was, you know, one of the big guns at Hammer for a long time as well. Mm-hmm. He's my my favorite music guy for them. You know, Don Banks was really good too. But, you know, when you hear a James Bernard score, you know, when it, like when this film, you know, <laughs> opens up, with uh, the music and the credits, oh man, you you just know that's him. <laughs> you 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 know that's a James Bernard score there. It's just really powerful and in your face, and yeah, really really good stuff. So why don't we take a look at the cast here, quick? So sure. you know we've got uh, our our boy here, like you said, Christopher Lee, and uh, just for lack of uh, uh, not wanting to say the name wrong a million times. You know, his name is actually Nicholas in this one. So, you know, when I talk about him down the road, I'm always going to say Nicholas. And that's Christopher Lee. But uh, he goes by uh, another name uh, predominantly uh, through this one, the Duke de Richelieu. And uh, he is really on point in this one. And he plays, like you said earlier, the hero. He's he's the hero in this one, not the, you know, the, the monster trying to get everybody. He's the guy trying to stop the monsters in this one. And he said, you know, he really enjoyed this role. And this was maybe his favorite film he even ever did at Hammer. And I do agree with something he said, uh, you know, not too many years before he passed away. I think he had made the comment that, you know, he would have loved to see this film redone because, you know, you know like you said, special effects wise, you know, they had a limited budget. And of course, special effects in 1968 weren't, you know, off the charts to begin with, but it's something they could do a lot more with nowadays. And I don't like, I don't like a lot of remakes, but I could see this being uh, quite well. Mm-hmm. I mean, and also, it, I would have loved to have seen him play this role again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's sort of an Indiana Jones kind of uh, character going around, you know, uh, throwing down these these occult menaces. Um, mm-hmm. He Because he was just so believable in it, you know. He has such a strong personality, and uh, the same way he projects strength and force as like Dracula, it comes across the, he has that same conviction and power as this character, uh, the Duke in, in this film, you know, only it's, he's there trying to, you know, protect his friend and, and, you know, stop this evil plot and everything. So, uh, it's just a shame he didn't get to more roles like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's, you know, every good, uh, a protagonist needs a good antagonist. So what about uh, our buddy Charles Gray here? I liked him quite a bit. What about him? Oh, man. Well, he so he plays Mokata, the uh, mm-hmm. cult leader. What I thought was really fascinating about that was that I guess the first choice that they the uh, uh, makers of the film had for that role, I'm going to butcher this name, <laughs> is, <laughs> is Gert Frobe who played Goldfinger. Oh, okay. Yeah, I gotcha. So they originally wanted to try and get him for the film. Uh, Cause I guess they got, I think they got the rights for this uh, back in like 63 and they kind mm-hmm. of 
were futzing around with it for some time because there was some hesitation about yeah, censors. Right, the censors were the British censors going to let them do this movie about the occult and everything. So they had approached Gert Throbe and then he he played Goldfinger and then it was like, hey, you know, this brother's got to get paid and they couldn't afford him. <laughs> so then they went to Charles Gray. And of course, he's fantastic because he has that menacing glare and and yeah. everything. He did a great job. Of course, then he later goes on to play uh, another uh, uh, Bond villain, uh, Blofeld, in Diamonds Are Forever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a few years later, so they had two. They wanted. They were going after Bond villains, maybe unknowingly. But I just, I, I thought that was an interesting connection. Uh, between the the two men they wanted to cast uh, for mm -hmm. the role, but yeah, he's he's very intense, and on one hand, he's sort of effeminate in a way uh, in his mannerisms and his speech, but he also has that same really forceful, um, like force of will kind of that that Christopher Lee has, which is, you know, a little bit menacing and well, not a little bit, a lot menacing and threatening. Yeah. So yeah, he was he was great. Yeah, he was really good. He's one of those people that, um, you know, this is like this 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 film isn't about like a, you know uh, like you said about earlier like you know the mummy. It's not like there's a mummy or a Frankenstein monster in this chasing people around. It, it's just a, a guy, and it's him that's kind of behind all of this. And he is just like again, he's just a guy, but he is very scary and menacing. Yeah, <laughs> as much as a monster, I would say, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, the scariest things really are people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Re Reality is a lot scarier than <laughs> monster movies. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I watch monster movies to get away from reality. So, mm -hmm. yep. You're not kidding. That's why I don't want to watch horror movies that are based on anything that's like really going on. I'm like, nah. Give me yeah. escape, escapism. Give me fantasy. I don't want to see reality. Exactly. You know, I don't want to know what's really going on. No. Nope. Give me something mm -hmm. completely ridiculous. Thank you. <laughs> yep, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, one of the other big players in this one was uh, Vec uh, Rex Van Rin, and he was played by uh, Leon Green. And this is uh, uh, Christopher Lee, uh, his character, uh, Nicholas, his uh, good buddy here. That, that this Basically, the film centers around the two of them mm -hmm. and uh, a, a younger guy, um, Simon Aaron, and played by Patrick Maurer. And they basically are kind of keeping an eye on him. But what did you think of... Uh, of that character too. I thought he was an interesting contrast to Lee. Yeah, he was much more of sort of the bare knuckles. I'm going to charge in there and just start, you know, punching people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, and uh, he was, he was, you know, like a good sidekick for, uh, for, I, I want to say uh, Christopher Lee for Nicholas, for the Duke, whatever. <laughs> um, I, yeah. I found it, interesting did you see uh, i don't know if you saw any of the commentary or anything but mm -mm, no apparently his voice was entirely dubbed oh yeah yeah by patrick allen yeah who is you know again he's one of these guys that he's been in some really good movies too you know <laughs> I, I he's he just did the voice here but he well, he's been in a ton of really good movies but one of my favorites that he was in was uh, he played Captain Collier in uh, Captain Clegg, uh, which is like a uh, 
uh, a film based on uh, the uh, sin. The Dr. The, yeah, Doctor Sin. Yeah. I've wanted to see that movie forever, and I have. I still haven't seen that Captain Clegg movie. I so. Oh, yeah. you would you would love it. <laughs> it's a Man. his pers- his performance in it is fantastic, and Cushing and Michael Ripper too are off the charts in that one. It's it's fantastic. So yeah, okay. definitely definitely gotta, definitely look that one out. Gotta track mm-hmm. it down. Yeah, I was yeah. really surprised because usually, like when people are dubbed, mm-hmm. I'm pretty good at picking up on it i had no idea he was dubbed Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah they did good job yeah they did a real good job yeah he was in night of the big heat too that's another crazy one with cushing and lee that's right you mentioned that one to me before i still yeah gotta have it on my list here yeah that's a a good sci-fi horror kind of flick you know like about aliens so uh yeah definitely that's not it's another one to check out but yeah that was he was pretty good though yeah like you said he's the He's the skeptic in this movie in the beginning, mm-hmm. and Lee is, you know, the believer. But uh, he's he's a skeptic, but it doesn't take him long to not be a skeptic anymore, <laughs> well, which is great. <laughs> yeah, after a few of the things he sees, um, mm-hmm. he he can't deny it. And, and it's interesting too. Um, there was a, a interview with uh, Patrick Maurer, who played Simon, the, the younger mm-hmm. guy. Yeah, and he he was talking about how tall Christopher Lee. And Leon Green were, he was like, I'm six one, And he goes, and these guys are like towering over me. And uh, I guess Christopher Lee, his his height is typically given as like 6'5". And I looked up Leon Green and he is like 6'4". And he said at one point he went into Leon Green's dressing room and he's shoving newspaper in his shoes. And he goes, well, I'm not going to have Christopher Lee standing taller than I am. <laughs> so they was trying to be tall. And I thought, oh, my God, these guys are ridiculous. Mm, um, but that's yeah, funny. They, they really were. Like, if you looked at them in some of the scenes, they were big dudes, you know. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, just uh, surprising to see guys that that big, especially in older films, you know. Yeah, yeah. So his character Simon Aaron is like a, a pretty wealthy younger guy, and mm-hmm. they're kind of looking after him because they were in uh, a war in the military service uh, with uh, his father, right. and I guess his father had passed away. So they said, "Hey, we'll we'll look after him," you know. So that's the connection there, but. Uh, yeah, there was, I mean, this one, uh, the girl that played Tanith, her name, good luck with that. I, I <laughs> It looks like the shoe company Nike. Yeah. So I'm not sure if it's Nikki or what, but, and even her last name is A-R-R-I-G-H-I. I'm not even sure how you pronounce that either. Arigi? Arigi? Maybe? Yeah, I don't know. Was she in any more Hammer films? Not that I'm aware of, no, uh-uh. Mm. yeah that's the this is the only film i actually no i'm sorry i just looked too it's saying she was in countess dracula which i have seen a couple of times not one of my favorites you know because again it's 1971 and i think by then uh unless you talk about twins of evil maybe because cushing's great in that one i think hammer was completely off the rails by 71 you know for me they just they they just were but yeah she she didn't have a huge career but uh maybe about seven years so but yeah, she was she was pretty good at this one. I liked how she kind of was. Uh, she was almost like uh, under a spell, under Mokata's spell through this, mm-hmm. you know, the majority of this movie. So I thought she played that part really well. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was uh, definitely 
kind of off. Mm -hmm. um, so whether it was something she was affecting or that was just the way she was, <laughs> uh, whatever it was, it, it seemed to work. So, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. Like I said, I'm not sure if that's who she was. That's the part she was playing. Maybe she's a you know recreational smoker. That's OK, too. I mean, <laughs> hey, whatever you got to do to get into the part, you know, <laughs> we, let's we can credit casting and say, hey, they knew what they were doing. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And then there's there was a house out in the country where uh, uh, Nicholas, you know, Christopher Lee's character, his uh, niece and her husband uh, ha and their little girl, Peggy, uh, that were out there. And that's Sarah Lawson. She played uh, Marie Eaton. And uh, again, she's somebody, you know, I know from uh, she was also in uh, uh, Night of the Big Heat as well. <laughs> so, yeah, she played. Uh, Patrick Allen's wife in that movie, which is hilarious. But uh, yeah, so yeah, she was pretty good too. I think, you know, she hasn't, it's not that she had a huge part, but towards the end, you know, her part got pretty significant, right? Right. And I, I enjoyed the scene she had where she was uh, going toe to toe with Makata and trying to resist him. And uh, mm -hmm. that was, that was a really excellent scene. Uh, and of course her husband was even more of a skeptic, I think, than, uh, Rex had been, yeah. You know, they're they're in that magic circle, and he's just like, ah, oh, I gotta, I want to go get something to eat, whatever. <laughs> he's just like, <laughs> he's like, no, you cannot leave the circle. Was, yeah, he he was a huge, yeah, he was the biggest skeptic of all until yeah. the very end, too. I think. <laughs> but yeah, there was only one other person I wanted to mention, and we'll get into why I'm mentioning him, and uh, it's uh, an actor. Uh, he may have even been uncredited i think eddie powell he played the goat of mendez <laughs> <laughs> but we'll we'll get into that in a, in a minute here right <laughs> oh boy yeah that's the scene if your mom had seen it it would have been like what are you watching yeah that would have been the end of me i would have yep. been in a doghouse till i was you know 18 probably <laughs> yeah. yep 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 and, or even some of the dialogue too would have been like uh <laughs> what are you watching yeah i'd have been in deep stuff but yeah hey you know it is what it is <laughs> so all right well is there anybody else you know you wanted to mention or anything like that from the cast I, or crew i think we covered it you know i think we covered everybody uh that needs to be covered. I don't need to talk about the cross-eyed countess or anything. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was wild. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. So, all right. Well, I'll just uh, do a quick little uh, synopsis here, and then we can just jump right into it. All right. So, in the countryside of England, the Duke de Richelieu, aka Nicholas, welcomes his old friend Rex Van Ryn, and has flown in to meet him and their friend Simon Aaron, who was the son of an old friend of theirs. That had passed away, but charged them with the task of watching the youngster. Nicholas and Rex unexpectedly visit Simon, and he is receiving 12 mysterious friends at a certain astrological meeting. Soon afterwards, Nicholas, who learns that now they're trying to practice black magic and they have Simon in their grasp, knocks him out and they take him away from the house. <clears throat> then they see there's also a friend of... Uh, Someone Rex knows named Tanith Carlisle, but her and Simon are to be baptized by the powerful leader Mokata to serve the devil. The two friends abduct Simon and Tanith then, expecting to save their souls, but Mokata summons the angel of death and the goat of Mendez to help him in a battle between the good and the forces of evil. 
<laughs> so, yeah. So what about this one? So I said earlier, too, about, you know, the music with, uh, you know, uh, James Bernard. You know, it starts out in this crazy scene that leads in with the credits and this great you know music to set a mood there. And then, you know, like I said, you see this, you know, a plane landing and Rex gets off and there's uh, our buddy uh, Christopher Lee, Nicholas. And, uh, you know, hey, how's it going? You know, all the pleasantries. And <laughs> I like how they get in uh, Lee's uh, car. And I don't know that I've ever seen this before. He's got this crazy device where it looks like an elephant trunk, and he talks into it to let the driver know where he wants to go. <laughs> right, like this really long horn that he speaks into. And it's like, yeah. could he just, like, tap on the thing and talk to the guy? It's, yeah, it was kind of bizarre. I, yeah. I suppose that must have existed back then, but. Yeah, yeah it's, and it's not like it's a stretch limo. It's like not no. that very big of a car. <laughs> He could have just yelled up and been like, hey, dude, take me to Simon Aaron's house. But instead, he uses this crazy device. And, you know, they showed up at that this huge house and, uh, you know, their buddies in there. But he doesn't want them to stay for some weird reason. And right away, you see uh, Lee's character, Nicholas, he's getting a, a weird vibe. Yeah, he he's picking up on it. And especially when the. Who is it? Is it Tanith that says, oh, aren't we We're only supposed to be 13? Yeah. And then, like, immediately he's like, oh, we got to get out of here. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, they don't say it, but they kind of give the impression that he may have already been thinking something like this was going on before Rex showed up. Yeah, that was my impression, too, that he felt something or he may have been poking around mm -hmm. and, and knew something was going on. Yeah, maybe Wheatley's book kind of expanded on that. It's just, just something they didn't have time for with, you know, you only have, you know, pretty much like 90 minutes or like back then. Right. So, but yeah, that was an interesting scene. And right away, he's like, you know, like you said, he when he hears about, oh, there's going to be more than 13, he knew something was up. And he's mm -hmm. like, all right, you know, Simon's like, oh, sorry, guys, but I got to kick you out of here because, you know, our, our astrological society's having the meeting and you guys aren't <laughs> members. So you got to hit the road. And Lee's like, oh, okay. And he goes, uh, let me go check out your observatory, you know, because I'm interested in telescopes or something. And he goes up there and you see right away on Simon's face. He's like, he knows he's, you know, going to see something up there that he doesn't like. Right. He uh, he knows that uh, Lee is, is clued in somehow. And, of mm -hmm. course, there on the floor is the big, uh, I don't know, pentagram or whatever with the goat's face. And mm -hmm. it's like... <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is not an astronomy club meeting. I mean, <laughs> come on. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it was interesting. And I, and I think it's kind of, um, you know, there's it's something mysterious about Nicholas in that he knows a lot about the occult. Mm -hmm. So, like, well, how did he find out about the occult? How does he know these things? Yeah. You know, he's not, he's not a practitioner of black magic. But mm -hmm. he sure knows a lot about all this stuff. So it's like, it's just kind of tantalizing, you know, you know that something, there's been something in his past. He's, he's read about these things. He has quite a bit of knowledge, yeah. you know, so what happened? Was he ever tempted or how did he find out these things? I don't yeah. Know. And at this crazy parties, when we get to meet our, our buddy, Charles Gray's character, Bokata, and he doesn't seem too super creepy at this party or anything like that, but right. he does have a, a very kind of commanding presence about him. And you can tell right away, even with this room full of people that 
uh, him and uh, Lee's character, Nicholas, are like the two strongest personalities in the room, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's definitely got a some kind of hold over Simon. Yeah, and you, you figure some of this plays on the fact that Simon's supposed to be so much younger and uh, I, I don't know if inexperienced is the uh, right. word, but something like that, where these uh, much more uh, lived people uh, can kind of control him and even Tanith to a point, too, because they're so much younger. Yeah, they're definitely, I mean, they're considerably younger than not only Mokata, but most of the people there at that, that mm-hmm. meeting. Yeah, and then <laughs> I love how they go up to the crazy room with the observatory and the telescope, and like you said, you see this crazy pentagram with a goat head in it on the floor, and Lee's looking around, and you hear this, like, scratching noise, <laughs> and Rex is like, oh, is it mice? And Lee goes bolting over and opens these doors, and there's a couple of chickens, and he's that's when he's just like, you're going to kill these chickens, you know, you're going to sacrifice them, and he starts really getting pissed off and giving mm-hmm. Simon what for, and Simon's like, you know, hey, you have no right to talk to me like this or tell me what to do. And I think at this point, Lee does say to him, like, hey, you know, I've never before said, you know, I'm a lot older than you, so I know better than you, you whippersnapper. But I'm going to kind of pull that card out now. <laughs> right. He does. Yeah. He's like, I have never made a, a deal about our age difference, but I'm going to tell you, <laughs> you, don't mm-hmm. know, you don't know what you're getting into here. Which makes me wonder, like, did a similar thing happen to him when he was younger, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then Rex is funny. He's standing there with this quizzical look on his face. Like, what is all this <laughs> crap? He doesn't even have a clue. But, you know, Lee's kind of, you know, laying into Simon about it. And then all of a sudden, Simon basically is like, hey, get out of here. And Lee clobbers him. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah. I think the first time I saw this film, I was like, what the heck is he doing? You know, he just knocked out his, you know, his, his you know, buddy's kid here it's like geez and they carry him out (laughs) it's it's kind of funny because i think in older movies and shows it was not uncommon for somebody to just clobber somebody to get out of a situation like i (laughs) you know i was watching star trek the other day as i am you know tend to do Uh and uh it was really one of the really bad episodes it was uh the gamesters of triskelion Okay, yep. With the brains and the, you know, 4,000 quat loose and all that. Yeah. And so, like, to get out of uh, Kirk's in this cell and, you know, his keeper is this girl with all this hair. She looks like of a, lady, course. a Lady yeah. Gaga thing, right? Yeah. And uh, instead of trying to overpower her and tie her up or whatever, he just, he punches her and knocks her out. And, you know, it's like, wow, they really, I feel like, between like movies, TV shows, comics, I, I remember that happening a lot as a kid. Like, you know, there were th- certain things back in the day that were like uh-huh. common plot things, knocking people out, quicksand. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. There was stuff like that that was always popping up, you know, and we don't. The tropes. <laughs> yeah, tropes like that. And we don't have them anymore. You know, you would never see like a movie where a guy would just like clock Mm-mm. a wo- woman and you know i've got to get you to no. safety and he'd punch a woman and take her away or something but you know <laughs> yeah and, and not to get sidetracked about star trek but i remember seeing that episode when i was a kid and i was like <gasps> what did he just do because you know i was raised in a single parent home and my mom was you know very much like you know i don't want to ever see you uh getting into a fight with anyone 
But like, I, I couldn't even imagine if I would have had to come home and tell my mom or someone else did that I had hit a girl. I think she would have sent yeah. me to like military school or something. <laughs> like it would have been over. So I was just like, I couldn't be like, I can't believe Kirk did that even to get out of a jam. I know. I know. <laughs> I was I like, know. no way. <laughs> but all right. Such a terrible episode. But yes. <laughs> So, so when I saw him punch the, the kid, I was like, what? I was the same. I was like, what? And then it was like, oh, yeah, they did that. Yeah, because like literally the scene cuts to the two of them creeping down the stairs to get out of there. <laughs> and they Simon is like Rex has Simon thrown over his shoulder like a sack of potatoes. Yep. And they go creeping out. And like I think the, the butler tries to stop them and. Now, if they clobber him to her and you know, uh, chuck, yeah. ch chuck a chair at him or something, and they run out the door, and Mokata comes running out, and he's looking around, and you can see he looks really pissed off. So you're like, uh-oh, this guy, like, this is going to lead to something not good, and this guy's going to be behind it. And I think they go right back to uh, Nicholas's house, don't, do they not? Yeah, they take him back to his house, and then he, he works his own little hypnotism <laughs> on him. Yeah. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, he's like, not only does he know about the occult, he knows how to hypnotize people. He's got a car with a, a horn in it. Like, <laughs> he's a really wild dude in this movie, man. Christopher Lee, this is this is one of his more iconic roles, absolutely. Yeah. Mm, but yeah, they kind of hypnotize him and put him out and uh, make him go to bed. And they put a, I think it's like a, a, a crucifix around his neck. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Lee thinks, oh, this will protect him. But we then see uh, our buddy Mokata. He's got some kind of crazy powers himself, like these mental powers where he's almost like in Simon's head. Right. And it makes him uh, twist the chain around his own neck and start choking himself. And he hits the little buzzer, you know, because, again, Lee is so rich. He's not only does he have a butler in this giant home, <laughs> they, you know, the rooms have a little buzzer in them that you can just hit. And that means. Yeah, the, it's time for the butler to get his rear end in there and get to work and do whatever Lee tells him to do. And he, I guess, you know, sees Simon choking himself, so he takes it off of him, and he takes it into uh, uh, Nicholas and uh, Rex while they're talking, and they're like, uh-oh, wait a minute, and they go blasting into the room, and he's gone. Yeah, that was kind of especially gruesome. You yeah. know, he had him strangling himself with the chain, and I mean, I guess the the... I don't know, were we supposed to, to assume that Simon could not take the chain off, that, that Lee's hypnotism made it impossible for him to do that, so the only way to get it off was to have the butler take it off? And I don't know, but it was that was pretty nasty stuff. <laughs> he was choking himself and feeling yeah. through the little buzzer, and it was like, oh, yeah. It looked really realistic to me. <laughs> it did, yeah. He, was, he looked like he was going purple, and it's mm -hmm. like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, that was. Way, I, I'm kind of glad I didn't see this as a kid because I think I would have really freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'd have been able to handle this one either. I mean, it, like you said, it's not super, super scary or crazy or anything like that. Like I saw, uh, I'm trying to think uh, the first time I saw The Exorcist because that really freaked me out, and I even oh, tried yeah. to watch. Like, I watched that when I was probably maybe 10, maybe oh, 12. Wow. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. And I was like, it gave me nightmares. It was awful. So yeah. literally, like, I don't know, it was like five or so years later, I was, you know, I'm a teenager. I'm tough, and that doesn't make me scared. 
And I tried to watch it again, and I was like, nope. <laughs> it's like, nope, this isn't for me. I, I can feel the nightmares creeping right back in. So I was like, I'm not watching that again. But, yeah, like you said, if you're a, a young enough kid and you would even see this movie, I think, you know, Mokata and uh, some of the things we're going to talk about coming up, they would have freaked me out. Mm-hmm. But, sure. yeah, so, you know, Rex, you know, they think, Rex and uh, Nicholas are like, oh, well, he must have went back to his house. So let's go over and go after him. And what did you think of this scene when they go up to the crazy observatory in this, like, uh, I don't know, what do you, the voodoo guy or what do you want to call this well, guy? Well, yeah, that scene doesn't play as well today <laughs> as it played, <laughs> you know, 40, 50 years ago. Um, I I liked the atmosphere of it all. I thought, you know, it was it was kind of creepy and everything mm-hmm. uh, but then like you said like then this black dude just shows up and like i guess it was supposed to be like a voodoo kind of thing or you know it was that's demonic. what i thought right yeah. i thought it was sort of demonic and voodoo-ish but there's nothing like innately frightening um i i think he had red eyes mm-hmm. um but I, my cringy part of me was like, oh, are they trying to say it's scary because it's a black dude? And I was like, I, yeah. I don't know if there was supposed to be any racial overtones there. I don't really think so. I think it was probably more sort of along a more a voodoo kind of thing because it was 68. And I think voodoo was kind of becoming a popular thing. Oh, yeah. But uh, yeah. Yeah, it was just kind of weird. I liked, I mean, I liked the ambiance of the scene, you know, how they were referencing like, oh, it's it's cold in here and, you mm-hmm. know, the, the music and everything. But then it was just kind of, it's kind of peculiar when the guy shows up because it doesn't play the same way, I think, as it was intended originally. Um, but, mm-hmm. uh, and, but it is kind of creepy. He's like, don't look at him, don't look at his eyes and stuff. And I'm looking, it's like, well, yeah, he's kind of a creepy looking dude, but um, mm-hmm. You know, you wonder if, like, if they had it to do over, like they were talking about doing it with, you know, new special effects, would it be something more demonic, like when they show the goat of Mendes? You know, would it be something yeah. more like that? You know, Is yeah, it more a budgetary issue. <laughs> you know, like, well, what's scary? Well, Sam over there, if we put a wig on him and ask him to stand in the circle, <laughs> I, I don't know. So, yeah, well, he basically just kind of hypnotizes Rex because he looks at his eyes, even though Christopher Lee tells him like five times to not look at his eyes. <laughs> know, don't look He's, at his eyes. He seems to not be able to not look at his eyes. So he kind of like starts walking towards the guy and I guess he would probably have ended up dead. But Lee cites some kind of crazy little spell of his own and chucks the crucifix at it mm-hmm. and poof, it just goes away. And he's like, we got to get the heck out of here. And they go booking out of there and get in the car and they're headed back. And that's when Rex is just like, I take back everything I said. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a believer. <laughs> mm, I love that part because it's like, yep, it didn't take him long. But uh, yeah, it's funny though. They kind of like game plan then about, you know, what they're going to do here and this mm-hmm. and that. And um, I know at one point, too, that one scene kind of is a little creepy, too, where uh, Rex picks up Tanith and she's like, you know, where are you taking me? And he's like, I just wanted to take you to lunch because she thinks, you know, he's trying to like kidnap her or something like that. And he's like, oh, no, 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 which he really is. But <laughs> all of a sudden, you know, you can hear Mokata's voice 
calling to her and she gets that like kind of trance like look over mm-hmm. her face and then his face is in the mirror on the side of the car that's really creepy right he has this uh, ability to project his will or whatever his thoughts to her and to simon i guess because he's got some influence over their minds mm-hmm. and uh, especially her though he has like a very strong control over her which they also say at some point that she's like a medium i guess or a um what do you call it a uh, conduit or something back to back okay can't we do anything but just stand here isn't there any way of fighting back only one what the last two lines of the Susama ritual. God's sake, then what are you waiting for? I daren't use them until our very souls are in peril of destruction. To do so would destroy us as effectively as it would stop Makata. It could alter time and space and... What is it? He has given up trying to get Simon. He has sent the angel of death himself to claim him. And us. He once breaks into the circle. If we once catch sight of his face. Yeah, for like psychic power or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's funny. She <laughs> so she kind of gets like rehypnotized by our buddy Mokata and she steals the car because he took her to uh, uh I mentioned those other characters uh um uh Lee's niece, I think niece. it's Marie. Yeah, Marie. And and her husband yeah, and Richard. daughter. Yeah, they have that house out in the country and he pulls in, he's like, "Oh, hey." And as he's doing, you know, his <laughs> you know, like, hey, the cool uncle's here routine. She takes off in the car. Well, then he takes their car and chases after her. But uh, Mokata uses his, you know, whammy to, like, make, like, a, a really thick fog. And Rex, you know, smashes up the car. Well, it's so, weird, too, because yeah. at some point he turns uh, Rex's windshield opaque. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, how did, you know, how did this happen? I thought that was kind of interesting it's just all of a sudden and i it's funny because in previous viewings i think i had assumed that he cracked it or something but it's like no it's just like it's opaque like the glass just gets 
mm-hmm. completely uh, changes. But he can't see through it. Yeah. Right. And he has to punch through it. And and then, yeah, there's this fog and all this other crap. And then, he yeah, he winds up crashing the car. But it's like, why did he leave the engine running in the car? <laughs> yeah, take the keys out, dude. <laughs> right. I know. Come on. If you're kidnapping somebody, you don't leave the car running and leave the, the keys in the engine. And mm. it's like, he's just not very good at this. Yeah, his yeah. kidnapping game is pretty weak. <laughs> <laughs> he, he has very little experience, apparently. And I like how, too, yeah, he smashes up the car and then he's kind of holding his head, stumbling around in the middle of the road. And that crazy cross-eyed countess almost runs him oh over. God, yes. <laughs> I'm like, she has a license? Wow. <laughs> that was so bizarre. And then they're just conveniently, all the Satanists are like having their little convention. Right like a down mile the down the street. road. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> conveniently. So, yeah, he kind of like just stumbles down the road and sees, you know, where she went, that countess. And he sees they're having this crazy ceremony where it's like almost like a satanic you know baptism or something of some kind where you know uh tanith and uh, our buddy simon there the younger guy are gonna you know be you know brought into the cult here and that's really creepy that scene oh yeah well they have all of them in the robes and then they take the goat and bleed the goat oh that's nasty yeah and it's like spurting the blood spurting (laughs) into the cup It's like, Mm. oh, that's another thing that young me would have been like, oh, I got to turn this off now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That would have been rough. And then at some point he runs out and he finds a call box and he calls Lee and tells him what's going on. And then Lee's like, yep, I've got it. I've got the address. Okay, be there in a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm thinking, how does he know where that is? Like. You know where your niece lives? Like a mile down the road. But when they were in that crazy car chase scene, like they drove after each other for a while there. So it's a little bit further away than that. Yeah, that's like, I know England (laughs) is an island, but it can't be that small. I mean. (laughs) Right? (laughs) You know. But but for the sake of the story, I'll go with all of this, you know. I'll go -hmm. go with it, but, you know, okay. Yeah, they pull it off pretty well. But yeah, when Lee shows up, that's when the crap really hits the fan at this insane. Holy moly. So, you know, uh, Mokata's there and he's, you know, like you said, they've already, you know, sliced open a goat's throat and there's blood flying around everywhere. And there's like all this insane, like you don't see anything, but it's almost like, I don't say like an orgy going on there, but there's something pretty wild going on at this party. Yeah, I think that's. If it wasn't implied, yeah, it's implied. If things weren't happening, it, they were about to happen. So. Yeah, and then here come the buzz kills, uh, Rex and <laughs> and Nicholas. So they they're content to just watch for a while, and Mokata starts spouting off about all this stuff. And the next thing you know, here we go. Here's our buddy uh, Eddie Powell, the Goat of Mendez, <laughs> and that is really creepy. Like that definitely would have freaked me out if I was a little kid and watched this movie. I know, just all of a sudden on this rock behind him, sitting there, just like, oh, I'm just taking it in. Is yeah, basically, you know, hey, I'm just the devil. And yeah. Yeah, it's so weird. I mean, and yeah, he's got like this goat head, mm-hmm. which you know you could almost say, well, that what's so like scary about it? But he had like human eyes, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just. Yeah, it's just like super creepy. I don't know how to like explain it. Like, I'm sure somebody else would look at a picture and go, that's stupid. But like watching it, <laughs> it's like, it's really creepy. You know, it it's is. Just, 
he's just sitting back there staring at everything and yeah mm-hmm. yeah the whole scene is like that's the kind of thing you imagine like you're driving out somewhere where you you don't know the the country the land and you're and it's late and you take the wrong exit and you you drive up into <laughs> something like that and you're like excuse me sorry i'm leaving don't worry about me um i'm just back out here mm-hmm. you know you know, that's the kind of thing i always imagine finding unfortunately yeah um, i yeah taking a wrong turning ending up at a party like that uh-huh. <laughs> yeah but yeah that, that's wild so i don't you know this this is literally the only part of the movie this crazy escape scene here where i'm just like yeah, I'm not seeing it because at this point <laughs> there's, and I mean, I know they talked about having only 13 earlier at that uh, house party, there but was way more than 13. Yeah. There's like 50 people there at least. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of these crazy Satanist people there, oh, yeah. cultists, whatever you want to call them. But somehow uh, Rex and Nicholas uh, managed to, you know, get Simon and Tanith and get in the car and get out of there. And it's like, you know, yeah, I'm, I I really can't suspend, you know, belief to see them pulling this off, right? I mean, I mean, those people have to be the biggest weenies ever because just two guys and one stays in the car the whole time. I mean, I guess, you know, if somebody's driving a car around and you're afraid you're going to get run over, that's one thing. Uh, but they could have easily jumped up on the car, you know, after he passed them by. And then, like, Rex is throwing these huge, like, roundhouse punches. Like, mm-hmm. he's, he's reaching way back. <laughs> way, way back. And, mm-hmm. you know, signaling every, every punch. Um, yeah, it's a little, it's stretching things a little. Unless they're all, like, just tremendous cowards. Um, it's a little hard to believe. Maybe they all lost their courage when they shone the light on the the goat of Mendes and it disappeared. Yeah. I don't know. But I, yeah, it's, it stretches it a little bit. Cause yeah, there were a ton of people there. They, they brought a lot of extras in on that scene. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of people there. Yeah. In my notes, it just says, not so sure about this escape. <laughs> I was just like, no, about that again though that is literally the only part during this movie when i watch it that i'm just kind of like i i don't think they even sort of kind of pulled it off i just think for me that's kind of the weakest part of it to try to get me to believe that that could happen but yeah i don't know but after that things really really pick up after that scene don't they i mean you it really starts to like they go back to the he takes the you know simon and tanith back to uh you know, his niece's house out there in the country. Mm-hmm. And like you said, they're kind of game planning on what they're going to do. But Lee's character, you know, Nicholas, he takes off for a while. And then Mokata shows up at the house. And like oh, you, yeah. you, you mentioned that earlier, that scene is fantastic. Why don't you talk about that? Oh, yeah. So then he, he comes and he wants to, of course, he wants to see uh, uh, Simon and Tanith. Simon and Tanith. And then uh, Sarah, I mean, uh, Marie comes and she's like, you know, basically running uh, a, a block on him, like, you know, no, you're not mm-hmm. going upstairs. And he starts trying to work his his uh, control over her. And then he, knowing that um, 
like Tanith is upstairs, he starts to exert his will on her, and same thing with Simon. And they try to, each individually, they have, you know, different people watching over them, and they try to, uh, as they're under his control, you know, mm-hmm. break out of their rooms and either kill or whatever the person is <laughs> taking care of them. Uh, but they get uh, they get stopped. And then uh, as uh, uh, Marie is throwing him out, he says like this really chilling yes. line. And he says to her, you know, I won't be back tonight, but something will be. Okay. And that whole sequence was just so well filmed and performed, you know, and he, I, I know I had read that they sort of based that his role on um, Alistair Crowley and, you mm-hmm. know, this whole idea of this, you know, crazy magician. Um, but uh, Charles Gray really is intense, you know, and yeah, when he's doing that, that stare, you know, you could really feel like his, his own uh, personal, uh, I don't know how to say it any better. Force of will, you know, acting mm-hmm. on, the ca- on the camera. You just feel like he is forcing these people through whatever means to do what he wants. And yeah, it was very convincing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it's something and some things do come back that night. That's a yeah. really good scene, too, where, you know, they're like you said, they they kind of uh, get in this uh, uh, circle and say, hey, you know, it, it's it's a. Uh, we know Mokata's going to uh, come back or he's going to send something after us. And wow, what a crazy thing is. And like you said, effects wise, obviously it's not that great. Like with the spider, like there's a, a spider and it looks like it's going to attack the daughter, but it's not really the daughter. And, mm-hmm. you know, Christopher Lee's character, you know, uh, Nicholas, you know, he's aware of all these things and how to kind of combat them. But when you have, you know, three other people in this circle that you need to try to keep safe and, they're skeptical or they're just not prepared. It, it really is like an edgy scene there. Cause you really don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, you've got the one guy, the husband who is just totally not buying. Any of it. <laughs> and uh, he's got to try to keep him under control. Mm. And uh, I liked the, uh, there was the one part where, cause they had sent um, Rex and Tanith. I think Tanith had, had Tanith run off or, or, and Rex had gone out after her. Yeah, um, yeah, I believe yeah. so. Yeah. And so they they stayed away. And at one point, while they're in the circle, they hear a pounding on the door, and what sounds like Rex's voice. And you go, well, you know, let me in, you guys. Let me in. Why don't you let me in? And you know, and of course, uh, Nicholas has to tell them that's you know. Do you really think that's that's Rex? And mm-hmm. and then you know, of course, then you hear like movement, and then. All of a sudden, uh, I think the candles go out, and yeah, it's just oh, yeah. super creepy, right? So they have all that huh? stuff, and yeah, the spider's a bit of a letdown because they they couldn't really film it maybe the way they wanted to to get the size across and everything. And I think originally they didn't even want to have a spider; they wanted some other thing, but they couldn't um, they couldn't do the effects the way they wanted, so they they used the spider. Eh, you know, it's it's not perfect. Um, I thought the um, 
when they have the uh, angel of death come in i thought that was pretty cool you know it looked pretty neat um yeah for the time and everything mm -hmm. one thing i just hadn't realized in all these years i guess because i just accepted things on face value um when the angel of death opens its visor and we get this shot on the screen of like this skull and this like bright blue behind it mm -hmm. i just always thought it was sort of i guess i thought of it as like oh it's like shocking you know that's why the blue is there it's like no that was a blue screen they were going to put something in behind it <laughs> and they didn't they didn't either have budget or time or something so it's an unfinished effect um but for me it was just like oh there's this flash of this skull and the blue and it's just like oh you know a flash um so i guess for me it always worked but <laughs> it was not it wasn't supposed to look that way so yeah, like you said, I, the, this is one of them that I think Lee was correct in saying that it probably would benefit from a remake just because, you know, like if they wanted to redo that scene and then have like a really scary, crazy looking spider, you could do that now with CGI. Mm -hmm. You could make something it start out small and grow to humongous size and be threatening or just pop up and be big. And just, that would work a lot better nowadays. Yeah. But like you said, the angel of death part was cool. I thought that looked really good. You know, the the makeup and everything on that. I thought that looked really cool. I thought they pulled that off pretty good, but you know, like you said, Lee, like we've been saying, he really has his, you know, did his homework on all this stuff, whether it was, you know, and he was just studying about this stuff for years or he had been involved with something, you know, we don't quite know that, but he knows how to, you know, uh, have this uh, spell, which gets rid of uh, the angel of death, but <clears throat> he repels it, but it, uh, it has, to, if it appears, it has to take a life and it kills Tanith. So that's kind of crazy. I was like, whoa, no way. Yeah. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was bizarre. It was like, oh, she's dead. And kind of shows up out of nowhere. And it was like, oh, okay, well, that's, that's too bad. <laughs> and then the whole ending goes into really high gear. Yeah. Yeah, Mokata and, kidnaps the little girl, Peggy. Mm -hmm. This maniac. And wow. Yeah, that's crazy. And, you know, that's just. It, when you're talking about like, uh, you know, adults and stuff happening between them, you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, if you're an adult, you could kind of, you know, defend yourself against somebody else, but it's a little kid. So it makes it even creepier and scarier. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like, maybe they should have had the little kid go stay with relatives somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, especially after Mokata showed up at the house, I would have been like, yeah, you, you can't be here anymore. Yeah, might have been a good idea, but anyway. <laughs> but yeah, that final scene gets wild. You know, Mokata kidnaps Peggy and takes her to this, like, almost looks like a basement in some crazy, like, old abbey or church or something right. like that. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, they, they turn it into their crazy cultist, like, hangout here. But, uh, yeah, it's wild. So they all basically try to stop Mokata from... He looks like he's got this dagger and he's going to sacrifice the little girl, but mm -hmm. nobody can seemingly stop him. But, you know, this is the part we talked about, I think, earlier, too, for a minute where, you know, we realized that uh, I think it's like supposed to be Tannis like spirit or whatever, like right. kind of uh, I don't want to say possesses Marie, but uh, kind of like kind of like Dead Man from like DC Comics, kind of like you know, <laughs> kind of hops in her body and uses her body to uh, help save the little girl. Right. Right. Yeah, which was kind of um, 
bizarre, but okay, mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, it was a little weird. I think I feel like they had so many good ideas in this film, and they tried to, you know, like usually what they do with novels is try to pull the things from it that uh, they think are the most cool and that they can pull off. And you know how it is a novel is like hundreds of pages. So oh, right. you can't fit sometimes even half of it into it. So I kind of felt like, uh, was there some things missing here that would have made this a little more effective that were in the novel? Maybe, I don't know. Apparently they cut out, there was like a whole other plot in the novel about, um, Mokata, one of the reasons he was after Simon was Simon had this talisman of set, which was supposed to give you like incredible power and he was going to use it to start another world war and (laughs) all this other stuff. And so Matheson just, I think, probably wisely said, nope, we're not going to have that (laughs) and, and cut it out. Because uh, I can't imagine how they would have done all that too in ninety minutes. I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it is. Mm, yeah, and it's just it goes so like you said. It, it really, I, I felt like they really sped things up in the last like fifteen twenty minutes there, just to kind of like get to the end because they felt mm-hmm. like. Most of the, the the significant things had already happened, you know. I won't say the end's a disappointment, but it's definitely not. Uh, like I almost felt like the part when they were in the circle at the house was, you know, more effective of a scene, and maybe that could have went a couple of steps further, and that could have been the ending of the movie. It's kind of funny because it's like they almost keep topping themselves or trying to, right? Because you have the whole yeah big like initiation with the go to Mendez and in some ways you're th- it's sort of like backwards because you think the scene where you have the devil show up should be your big scene yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> and then the scene in the basement should be your least that should be maybe towards the beginning I don't know but, yeah it's a little bit strange that we go from like this huge scene with all these people and the devil and then we wind up in a basement um which is definitely how it feels like, oh, they're in this little teeny underground lair. And then, yeah, after like Tanith uh, uh, possesses, uh, I always want to say Marie. Yeah, Marie. And she speaks those magic words or spell or whatever. Then there's like lightning and stuff inside and like the earth splitting. (laughs) It's like 10 commandments time. (laughs) You know, it's crazy. And all the cultists get wiped out. And then it, what's really crazy is how it how it actually ends. Because it was like, I was, at first I was confused. The first time I saw it, I was like, what is going on here? But the whole time thing. Yeah, it's yeah. almost like, yeah, yeah. It's almost like they, they kind of get like knocked out, like all the the, the, right. the the heroic team here. And then they wake up and. It's almost like they went back in time, but everything that happened right there in that room still happened. It's it's yeah. kind of weird. Yeah, they wake up back in the house, and Tanith is alive. Mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, Nicholas is like, "Oh well, you know, because we, you know, we were able to do the spell and all this other stuff. None of that stuff happened, and the angel of death took Mokata." And everything's good because we're good people. And 
<laughs> Yay, it's a happy All's ending. well that ends well, yeah. Yeah, it was really surprising. <laughs> I mean, I think that's one of the things that's really different about this film as compared to a lot of Hammer films is it actually sort of has this happy ending, you know? Mm. All, the, all the protagonists are still alive at the end. The bad guy's defeated. Um, they basically, you know, saved the day. And, um, you know, it's that's kind of unusual in a Hammer movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of wonder, like, if because even though they started trying to, you know, talk about making this film in 1963, but it didn't come out until 68 because they were afraid of, you know, the whole Satan and the censors mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. It, it, were they still feeling a bit of pressure with that? And that's why they, you know, had the ending kind of be you know, very much, you know, good defeats evil. And there was like not even a, a little, you know, a tiny bit of, well, maybe not, you know, I think maybe is that why they did that? I, I'm not sure. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I, I'd love to read the book. I've, you know, I go in a lot of old used bookstores and stuff and I look for Dennis Wheatley books and never find any. I guess I'd need to be in England to, <laughs> to, <laughs> to find some. Maybe I need to just like break down and go online and see if I could order some. Uh, But apparently it was a really popular novel uh, for its time. And um, I'd love to get a hold of it and just, you know, see how it's different from the movie. Yeah, they have a little plot synopsis on uh, Wikipedia about it. Mm -hmm. And it it does, you know, definitely... uh, there was some like pretty stark differences, but like we said, that always is the case between yeah. the book and the film. It's just, it has to be because sometimes decisions got to be made and Hey, you know, some of them are probably the right ones. Some of them probably aren't the right ones, but they have budgets and they only have, you know, 90 minutes to get things in. And it's just, there's a lot of constraints when you're trying to take a novel and put it into a film. So oh, yeah. it's a, it's a totally different medium. So I, I try not to be too, you know, beat up on <laughs> adaptations too bad just because it's just a totally different thing. Oh, yeah. It's a different medium. Yeah, like you said, there's a lot of constraints. So you do what But it was still can. good. Yeah, oh, it was yeah. Still, it's still a really, really good movie. I don't want anybody to think we're kind of uh, poo-pooing it here. No, it's, it's definitely one you need to see. If you haven't seen it, you got to see this movie. So definitely look this one up. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere right now or not. Um, uh, like you said, there was a Blu-ray out uh, that might still be available. The Blu-ray is very good. I think I got it from Shout Factory. Mm-hmm. Um, I know TCM shows it sometimes, especially around Halloween. So mm-hmm. if you've got TCM, you can check and see if they're showing it. And I don't know about you know some of the other um, services. I don't have like Shutter, so I can't check that. But maybe maybe they would be a you know something to check. Um, it's a, it's a definitely a little harder to find than most of the hammer films, but yeah, it's, it's worth, uh, checking out at least once, if not more than once. Um, like you said, you know, we may have, we may have picked some nits, but we, I, I love the film. I know you love it too. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I'd love to see it like in a theater too. I'd love to Ooh, yeah. know, be able to just, you know, catch it at some kind of like a hammer film festival or something but um yeah it's definitely one worth spending some time with yeah for sure like you said it's definitely one that doesn't get a lot of play you know a lot of uh, airtime, but it's definitely one you need to see especially if you're into that genre of films 
or you're just a hammer fan in general, you, you, you do need to see this one for sure. It's, it's got to be on your watch list. Get out there and find it somewhere. <laughs> yeah. If you, and if you want to see Christopher Lee punching a guy out, you know, <laughs> this, yep. is, this is a good one, you know, so mm-hmm. there, yep. there you go. Yeah, and see him play, you know, a heroic role, which you don't see that very often. So that's definitely, this is definitely one you need to check out. So, all right, well, yeah, thanks for joining me, Karen. This was a lot of fun talking about this one. I really enjoyed it. So we'll have oh. to, you know, brainstorm uh, another one in the future here we can talk about. But now we've hit two of the big ones for Hammer, though. This one and, you know, like we did the Quatermaster. There's two of the big guns already there. And, the, well, we did the Mummy, too. So oh, and that one, too? Yeah. three of them, so... Well, it's well hey, always, you know, it's always a lot of fun, Billy, to talk yeah. about these uh, these movies with you. You know, it's I don't know. It's just something like I think you've mentioned maybe be, well, I don't know if it was before we started recording or after, <laughs> but, <laughs> but something about you know they're they're like comfort food movies, and yep. that's definitely how I feel about them too. These and the Universal Monsters are sort of mm-hmm. comfort food movies for me, so uh, I just love talking about them. Yeah, especially the creature. <laughs> oh boy, the creature. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's a good one, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, maybe you could, if you uh, get your hands on Captain Clegg, let me know what you think of it. I think Man. it's really, really good. I you know, it's it's funny because I spent some time um on YouTube trying to watch the Disney uh Oh Doctor Sin. Yeah. Doctor Sin, yeah. That it was so it looked so terrible on YouTube, but <laughs> Mm. I wanted to see, you know, kind of what it was about because I've heard a lot of people talk about it, and uh, it was okay. I mean, it kind of, I kind of lost interest midway, but it was, it <laughs> was, it was all right. Uh, but yeah, Captain Clegg, it's definitely on my list now. Yeah, the Hammer version's a lot better in my opinion. I do like the Disney version too, but I think the Hammer version's way better. Yeah, I would kind of guess so. Yep, definitely. Definitely check it out. (laughs) So, all right. Well, thanks for joining me, Karen. So if anybody's uh, looking for you out there, where can they find you? Uh, Probably the best place is on Twitter. I'm at at Walker underscore KM. And Mm -hmm. uh, then I also do a podcast with my friends Larry and Bob. It's the Planet 8 podcast. And we've really been trying, we've been making an effort to move everything over to Podbean. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So uh, the best place to find us is on Podbean, but we're also on a lot of other, like we're on um, Spotify and Apple and all those Mm -hmm. other places. So if you look at uh, um, Planet 8 on probably any app that you use for podcasts, um, we're there too. So um you can find us there as well yep absolutely look it up because you guys have been cranking out some good ones lately uh one of my favorites you did lately was uh your top 10 uh robots <laughs> that was a lot <laughs> oh, of fun man. yeah that was that was a pretty silly one we you know sometimes uh you just gotta take a break from doing all the hardcore movie reviews and stuff like that and just say well what's okay what's something you just want to do that's fun it's like eh, what's your favorite robots okay so Mm -hmm. it was a lot of fun i enjoyed it quite a bit it was a lot of fun (laughs) oh glad you glad you liked it yeah Mm -hmm. so uh yeah when we'll you know we're gonna keep trying as best we can to crank out a couple of episodes every month so uh 
yeah, if people are into sci-fi and monsters and stuff like that, um, yeah, check us out. I think they'll enjoy it. Yeah, a lot of fun and always, you know, Star Trek sci-fi references. So that's always another good reason to tune in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. Awesome. So, all right. Well, again, uh, thanks for joining me, Karen. This was a blast. I enjoyed having you on as usual. Like I said, we'll have to, you know, get uh, another one down there and down the road. Maybe it seems like we're on like a quarterly schedule. <laughs> so uh, we'll definitely have to uh, think about something again, maybe for early next year. Yeah, sounds like a, a plan, Billy. I, like I said, I really enjoy it. Who knows? Maybe I can uh, get Captain Clegg under my belt or something. Mm, I think you'll really enjoy that one. So, yeah, definitely, definitely try to seek that one out. But all right. All well, right. that's going to do it for this one. And uh, we're going to get out of here and then I'll come back in to wrap up the show in a minute. Okay, that wraps up this episode. Once again, I want to thank Karen for being on the show. Uh, great guest. I uh, really love uh, hanging out with Karen. She's a really cool, good guest and knowledgeable and a lot of fun. So definitely check her out on uh, Planet 8 Podcast and uh, on Twitter. Uh, I'll have all that stuff in the uh, show notes as well. So uh, definitely check it out. Thanks for listening.